The Homance Chronicles. The female equivalent of a bromance. So many poor choices. But so many good takes. But so many poor choices. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. All right. This is the Homance Chronicles, and I'm Sarah. And I'm Nicole. And Nicole's sick today. So we're going to pretend. That that was not me coughing at the beginning. No, it's always me. It's always me coughing. (laughs) I will consistently have post-nasal drip. I don't know why. (laughs) For so many years to eradicate it from my life, and it continues to plague me. I thought I had it there for a minute. And then this weather happened, and so... We're All back. back. Okay. Um. Yeah, I I'm not doing so good. But don't you worry, because look, I've got my my Prince cup ready to go with God. tea, honey, and whiskey. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Prince mug to save the day. He saves it every time. I just love also that you have the Prince mug with whiskey in it. Make myself a little hot soddy. Yeah. I just love the whiskey on hand. I haven't really talked much today. So I was like, um, I better prepare a (laughs) suitable lubricant for (laughs) this discussion. (laughs) Yeah, because... Today's hoe is, she's a wild wood. <clears throat> Let's hear about her. Well, so we're going to talk about the pegster. I called her the pegster just because of her antics as I read them. But her name's Peggy Guggenheim. <laughs> okay. Well, Guggenheim is a famous last name. It is very famous, matter of fact. She's part of that family. Okay, perfect. Yep. So Peggy Guggenheim is a Virgo, born August 26th. Oh, only two days before me. Uh Uh-huh. Well, I don't know, a year. Two days before me and a bunch of years. 1898. (laughs) (laughs) And a bunch of years. (laughs) (laughs) Almost a hundred of them. Yes. Uh (laughs) Um, She... Passed away in 1979. In her time on this earth, they were calling her an American art collector, socialite. Um, And I'm just calling her straight up fucking wild lady because she was something else. So she was born of a wealthy New York family. And um, I apparently like, so I... I should say that I have several sources and I will hopefully remember to tell them all at the end of this year because didn't have a lot on her early life until, or didn't the Wikipedia's didn't have a lot at all on Peggy. It was kind of crazy because usually there's a whole litany of things. So I ended up having to do quite a bit of research, which I was fine with because I had different lenses for everything. But so her family came from wealth like her mom's family was known for being eccentric and having a lot of strange interests and money so they continued to invest in these weird things but eventually her dad became um 
a like the bank the head of a bank in world war one or two i believe and um so her family definitely had money he was a yeah he was a he was the leading national financier in the civil war era excuse me so she described her like childhood as if her parents essentially were like the boys in the family got all the clout and the girls were kind of like made to feel guilty about things her father was actually a wealthy um from a wealthy family as well but they're wealthy from gold mining and smelting so um he had several brothers one of them her uncle is solomon guggenheim who was uh he opened the guggenheim museum i mm-hmm. believe and other philanthropic organizations so mm-hmm. very famous mm-hmm. um but get this okay so i'll get into well the get this i think you know it but so she was born into this wealthy super wealthy german jewish family of all things and um they lived in new york and she was like not into it she did not enjoy it her father had been given the same amount of money as his brothers and he ended up being an a like a not abusive but he was an alcoholic and he was definitely um had a wandering eye if you will <laughs> okay he was on the titanic when it sunk oh wow. and so at 13 years old she lost her father and although they did have millions literal millions back then um he did not do so well in the business dealings and left her a little millions instead of big millions like his brothers had so all of her cousins were like oh dear and she was like well fuck it i don't care dang uh-huh so even though her father was absent she did love him very very much um she had a nervous breakdown after he passed away and decided she was going to reject the idea that she was actually a real Guggenheim and just kind of rejected her bougie roots and became a rebel. Ended up shaving off her eyebrows, not only to shock her family, but also the people in school. So, like, she lost her noodles for a little bit. And I read in a different article that eventually that became such a popular thing because it was so avant-garde that it became trendy to shave your eyebrows off so like at a young age she didn't have that impact at a young age but eventually when people learned how she had done that they did it too she was also one of the first people eyebrows grow back crazy though i don't know probably people shave their eyebrows today all the time like everybody does i haven't huh what do you mean everybody does any makeup influencer you see likely you know odds are they shave the tail ends of their eyebrows off completely but like jenna marbles shaved off her eyebrows she's fine there's a couple people out there influencer wise that'll shave their eyebrows off like regularly it's weird and just draw them in yeah i know yeah i'm I'm with you i'm like i'm like these are just influencers that come up on your 
for you, Paige. No. <laughs> Shaving of the eyebrows for makeup is very much a thing. <laughs> oh, I know there's gluing the eyebrows down. What? Like you could glue them. Oh, you know, yeah. Like you use to put like, makeup on them and cover yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like drag queen style. Right. Yep. Nope. Someone shaving them sounds their shit. crazy. Because I mean, even just from plucking, like a hair will grow back and I don't, it'll come in and point the wrong way. <laughs> I don't know, man. Imagine people... if all your hairs came back, they're all pointing in different directions. I mean, I so feel weird. like. I feel like you've been blessed with thicker eyebrows than the majority of the folks out there in the world. Think so? Yes. <laughs> I've seen some shit, man. Yes. My grandma had three hairs in her eyebrows at one point. My grandma too, but she didn't shave them. Oh, grandma did. Fuck you. Oh no, my grandma was like holding on to every hair she could get. Hell no. My grandma had my mom yank her eyelashes out so she could glue big fake ones on. She yank them out. You just glue your lashes on top. No. Nope. She yanking them out. Yanking them out. I don't know. What is happening? Yeah, women do weird shit. Speaking of weird shit. She was one of the first people to get plastic surgery in the United States on her nose. And she was fucking awake with no anesthesia and like, you know, not enough pain killer. So the doctor was like halfway through her nose job and she was like, fuck this. I'm done. You have to be done. So she walked around with a botched nose job too for like a period of time in her later years. <laughs> Why were what they didn't have anesthesia no was she oh and they okay. didn't it like plastic surgery didn't have that kind of shit yet so i don't know when that was i didn't have the ability to find that timeline but yeah she definitely walked around with a botched nose job um okay so in nicole's still pondering the shaving of the eyebrows i think <laughs> All of it. Looking eyebrow our eyelashes out. She's looking up. Trying like, to have surgery eh. without any kind of even local anesthetic. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think all... they have local anesthetic, but you know, at some point it's gonna break the barrier. You can only have so much Novocaine. I know, but she got through them probably using the hammer on her nose and watching it. Yeah. That's insane. I know. I couldn't watch somebody hammer my nose. I don't. I don't like watching people put the IV in my arm. So. <laughs> she not pass out. I really don't know, but she stopped it. So she was definitely awake. <laughs> Yikes. I know. I want to look more into that. So anyway, in the so in the 1920s. She began working at a bookstore in Manhattan for free. Um, you remember she completely um, bailed on her family. And at the age of 21, she inherited her uh, money from her dad and ended up, you know, surrounding herself by artists and art and a social life that went with it. So she became close friends with writers 
And most important is Marcel Duchamp. At the time, he was a lifelong mentor. He's the one that helped her connect her with a lot of artists and artwork and like visions and stuff throughout her whole life. But I'm really only going to mention him here. Um, so she, she often would purchase paintings from struggling artists or buy them meals and forego the luxuries she had as she was growing up because she, it wasn't her style. She wasn't the bougie Guggenheim. She, you know, she was going to be one with the streets. Um, my kind of lady, just kidding. <laughs> I'm really enjoying my bougie life anymore. <laughs> One with the streets. Yeah. So at 23, she was um, really interested in losing her, and I quote, burdensome virginity. She was inspired by um, frescoes that she'd seen in Pompeii. There were like pictures of these frescoes, and it was people making love and having different positions. And she wanted that for herself so much so she ended up getting involved with an artist and writer called Lawrence Vale who was dubbed the king of bohemians oh yeah she was really in the bohemian movement at the time so like hippy dippy shit and it was very much like free open love you know but just not in the 70s mostly in the 20s so like bohemian Okay. Isn't that um, flapper era? Yeah. When everyone was the complete opposite? Yes. So she <laughs> was definitely not into it. And she was of the lowbrow art scene. And she did all of those, you know, really not, not really, they were frowned upon. <laughs> so driven by sexual curiosity from the frescoes, she found, found uh, Lawrence Vale to be the guy and after they met and made the sex they got married in 1922 and she ended up having two children sinbad and pegan p-e-g-e-e-n pegan pegan she trying to name the child after herself i have no idea no um so they she didn't she did have a relationship with her daughter, but there's so much that goes into the story. I removed it. Although I did come across something at some point where she said in an interview and maybe in an autobiography, like basically confirming that she was as close to her daughter, that they were almost lovers. And what? yeah, it was as if they were lovers. So they had, they had a maybe not so good relationship and I think it was due to the fact that her mom was such a shitty mom to her but she also didn't know how to be a mom so she just didn't have the right tools and um her daughter ended up passing away at 42 years old I can't remember if it was by suicide or something or an overdose but it wasn't a healthy relationship in any way shape or form and I don't think she had a very good relationship with her son at all um so she's at this bookstore she loved the avant-garde nature of it she finds her bohemian king she has her two children and he beat the fuck out of her so in 1928 she divorced her 
almost like immediately after that, she met John for our homes and traveled for two years with him. Over the course of the relationship, she and John were very close. She was very much captivated by him, but she had a track record of shitty relationships with shitty men. And so um, he was a very severe alcoholic. In 1934, he ended up dying while he was under the knife during a medical procedure. So odds are it was due to his lifestyle because it was sudden and unexpected. But <laughs> she said that over the course of their relationship, she had endured many abortions for him. So, oh. right. Kind of going in line with what we had talked about previously with some of our, yeah. our other hoes. It was used as birth. It was used Abortion as Abortion was the birth control. So it says he, um, on the Dugal that her daughter uh, died from an overdose. There it is. And that she struggled with depression her whole life. Yep. So you can imagine her mom, after you hear her story, it was a very weird and toxic and bad relationship, I have to assume. So she, and at that point, she was like, uh, she had met a guy named Douglas Garman a year before her and john had gotten married he came back to the picture they ended up getting together and having a relationship for several very turbulent years and after that relationship ended she found herself at a loss of occupation since she had never been anything but a wife for 15 years i was paraphrasing so like in essence she went from the bookstore to being a wife to an artist another artist another artist in that realm in that social circle and never had purpose because she was rich by trade so she never really had an occupation she also never went to college so all the art knowledge she amassed was through all of these connections that she had through her lifetime so as she was going through and collecting all of these pieces of work um, she was rubbing elbows with the artists and writers and stuff as she was going through it. So after receiving her mother's inheritance in 1937, she decided ultimately to open an art gallery in London called Guggenheim June, J-E-U-N-E. -E. Now June is a play off another popular character in that era. The family was um, in, in kind of like the Kardashian famous not not for anything and specifically they were just famous maybe well they had specific. money right so. so they were known to have so it was two well-known names that were wealthy and had something associated socially with them so she named her gallery guggenheim june people like picasso were her friends and they would have actual shows at these at her gallery so she had amassed such an amazing circle of artists at that point in time that she was able to actually exhibit and showcase up and coming artists and give them an opportunity to become um, notable and famous because she was so immersed in the community. And um, again, this was in London. So as she was getting all of these artists to come through, she decided that she was going to purchase at least one piece of work from each show. And she ended up amassing a pretty important collection that was personal for her. She was also collecting those dicks. 
she <gasps> was going around being a total floozy. Um, she was she was promiscuous as fuck, essentially. All right. Um, the article from Vogue says, yes, Guggenheim was incredibly promiscuous. At one point, she jokes that it wasn't worth mentioning her alleged affair with John Cage because she slept with him only once. At another, she remembers that Samuel Beckett, who was so rambunctious, he once kept her in bed for four days with only a break for sandwiches. At yet another, she claims to have slept with Constantine Bren Cusey, only in hopes that in doing so, it would drive down the price of the bird sculpture she wanted to buy. But she was very heartbroken over John for our homes. And so, you know, she was just all over the map, basically. She viewed her sexuality and openness the same as she viewed her openness towards art. So she was just like it. She lived the lifestyle. So it's actually pretty cool because while she had the gallery, not very many people understood that um, that art that she was trying to showcase, and so eventually she ended up having to close it after the first year because she ended up losing money. She decided at that point, I don't really want to continue losing money, but I do want to continue into the arts. And so she decided to contact Herbert Reed and move to Paris so that they could develop a plan to, um, to basically not build but have a museum of modern art in london so at that time in london yes didn't you just say paris mm-hmm. she flew to paris to meet with herbert reed to plan to do the museum of modern art in london oh gotcha yeah it confused me too that's totally understandable <laughs> well i'm not functioning with all of my brain cells today no you're good i you do great <laughs> You're doing great, sweetie, sweaty. Uh, <laughs> so um, at the time, she and Herbert had created the plan and allocated or secured the funds, $40,000. And they created a list of artists to purchase artworks from. The war broke out, World War II. She was undeterred. She was like, fuck this. I have 40K and I have a list and I know a bunch of people in Europe. I'm going to get all this shit no matter what. So she did, in fact, collect $40,000 worth of artwork. Not saying that was the value. That was the amount she had at the time. And that was what the artists were willing you know, to negotiate within, that, within a range from there. So she collected from artists, including, again, Picasso, Max Ernst, Man Ray, and Dolly. So, like, you can imagine those names. Salvador Dolly, at the very least, is very well known. Picasso is, at the very least, very well known. She was buddies with all these people. Easy. I know. So, (laughs) 
while she was in Paris in 1940, that's when it was being invaded. She contacted the Louvre and said, hey, help me protect these paintings from all of these artists so they don't get destroyed in the war. And those snobby motherfuckers were like, uh, no, thank you. They're not good enough and they're not worth protecting. Wow. Because the avant-garde movement had not been appreciated yet. Surrealism had not been appreciated yet. So um, she was very instrumental in like getting these artists and pieces of art through the war because she contacted a man and said, help. So they ended up packaging all of the paintings up in bedding and casserole you know, within the beddings and the casserole dishes and illegally shipped everything, smuggled it into the U.S. as personal belongings for her home. <laughs> I don't blame her. Shit. Like, she knew she had something special. Well, she had $40,000 worth of shit. I know. I'm just saying that just because the Louvre or Paris or however you want to look at it didn't deem it as worthy. She was like, no, this is worthy in my opinion and in others. And uh, instead of just being like, okay, well, I guess we'll just throw it in the trash. She was like, no, we're hanging on to this. This is, well, not only did she spend money on it, but um, I think she was trying to make a point Oh, she was making a very big point. Yeah. Very big statement. So um, she she came back to the States in, in 1941, moved back to New York, and ended up marrying Max Ernst, which is, he's an artist from that era. In 1942, they opened another gallery called Art of the Century Gallery, and it was de- devoted to avant-garde art, with sections dedicated to surrealism, kinetic art, and cubist, and as well as more abstract arts. So like my kind of place. She ended up wearing two different earrings to the opening of that gallery, one for Alexander Calder, who was actually um, an artist who was doing a lot of mobile work, and he is a sponsor for one of the buildings in the Grand, Grand Valley state university art program that i attended and then she had another one for uh i can't remember the name of the person at the moment starts with a t another earring representing that side of the house for art um she also slept with them so that was fun (laughs) you know what's unique is that she's so open about it oh it gets better like If women were promiscuous at that time, it doesn't necessarily mean that they wanted people to know. It seems like she's just like, yeah, I'm out here fucking. Oh, yeah. It gets better, too. (laughs) Okay. She was like, we got deep cuts and she has deep cuts coming. So she had this gallery. It was one of the first international galleries to host European and American artists in the same space. So go girl. She became an 
early patron of Jackson Pollock. Now, you know who Jackson Pollock is, right? Yes. Nobody believed in this man. Nobody had any interest in giving him space. Not only did she provide him a monthly stipend, she purchased his first commission and gave him his first exhibition. That being said, Jackson Pollock is, you know, a very celebrated artist now in this era, in this time. Well, he's, he's well known now. He's probably more well known than Peggy Guggenheim. Oh, he's well, way better. Mm -hmm. Yes. So she was known to provide and host artists of that caliber exhibition events to get them into launch them into the community because she was able to do that but she was also not going to turn away that dick (laughs) (laughs) just kidding she was married to max at this time but fun fact she had another first where she held an exhibition devoted solely to women artists it was called a night of 31 women or something like that i can't remember One of the artists, Dorothea Tanning, caught Max's eye and he divorced her in 1946, to which she said, my fault, it should have only been 30 women. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) As far as I know. Oh, damn. That's funny. Okay. Enter Deep Cuts. (laughs) In 1946, she also decided it was time to publish her biography called, autobiography called, Out of the Century, Confessions of an Art Addict. This book is full of her escapades in the art community, but it is also full of her hundreds of affairs and sexual encounters she had over time with all of the people that she had encountered in her early career. It was such an off-putting autobiography that her uncles, her family's wealthy uncles, tried to buy up all of the fucking copies. Tried to buy up every single published copy because of the amount of sexual encounters she had documented they were appalled it didn't work (laughs) she she then was also criticized by the media they were saying that she was out of the century more like out of her head no respect was given to her she was seen as a joke so she packed up once again and left for Italy. Okay. She was done. So in 1947, she moved to Venice. Once she was there, she found, um, she had a friend who had asked her if she would like to exhibit her own art collection in a gallery in Italy. Yeah, in Italy. And um, this was actually the first time yet again, she's another first, that 
Pollock and other American artists had been displayed along with European artists in Europe. So after she hung out in Italy, decided that was her place to stay, she purchased the Palazzo Venere de Leone. It was an unfinished 18th century building, and she lived out the rest of her life there. So I imagine it was like, it's just exposed brick, super modern. It's got a really great deck, super great view of the canal. So, you know, now she's in like the golden era of her life. She becomes kind of like a hallmark at this point in Venice. She's hosting all sorts of artists and writers at her home. She decides at some point she was going, she opened up her house to the public as an art museum so she also had the hallmark butterfly glasses everybody knows them today Mm -hmm. she was the originator of that style okay her friend was the artist and she decided to wear them and so she had all kinds of pairs of glasses and she wore them everywhere until she was done she had a pri- she passed away yeah until she was done <laughs> that's how we talk about it now uh-huh. yeah so i'm done <laughs> so she she had three lhasa apsos you know those little furry dogs uh-huh. she always had them with her she had a private gondola so she would be seen regularly in her private gondola, gondoling around the canals with her Lhasa Apsos and her butterfly glasses. <laughs> wow. Um, in 1962, Venice actually bestowed an honorary citizenship upon her because they loved her so much and felt that she contributed to so much of the community. Um, and then later on, she loaned her collection to various museums Uh, so that they could display her works of art she ended up collecting art until 1973 uh, and unfortunately had a stroke in 1979 and passed away and then uh, her ashes were spread pardon me i'm doing it again excuse me her ashes were spread in italy around her villa in the canal I think. And so oh. that is the story, for the most part, of Peggy Guggenheim, art addict and hussy. <laughs> and brought some firsts to the art world. So, oh, Let's give her some credit there. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, it's unfortunate because um, everybody kind of sees her as this loose, desperate, trying to fit in to the crowd, you know, the art crowd. 
And really, in all actuality, she she was just living a very open and free life and was pursuing what she wanted to do, working through all of the tragedy and the traumas that fell on her, like from when she was younger. She lost a lot of people in her life, and she was very much alone all the time. Like, she was very much surrounded by people, but she was alone and I you know I have to imagine it was because of her daddy trauma and blah 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 there's a book actually called sex money and collecting about her (laughs) no shit that's awesome (laughs) money and collecting that's awesome so um Um... There's another book called Peggy Guggenheim, The Shock of the Modern. Yeah. So she was very, 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 very much not in the right era. But that led her to be who she was to that era. And if she didn't exist, we would not have what we have today. Somebody right. she's ahead of her time, man. Yes, as an art, as I'm, and I'm paraphrasing uh, from theartstory.org, as an art critic, Allison McNeary wrote of Peggy Guggenheim of the Peggy Guggenheim collection. It is not only one of the premier collections of modern art in the world, featuring over 300 works by over 100 of the most influential artists of the 20th century, but it has also played an integral role in turning Venice into a mecca for contemporary art. So she, the art, when she first went to Venice, she showed her art in the Venice Biennale, which is, I believe, an art gallery. And when she did that, it really kicked off a lot of interesting Italian art things because it was one of the more international exhibitions i guess you could say she's trying setting across the globe yeah she was an international biatch what's interesting is that a lot of the women that we cover in these stories start out in the u.s and are like fuck this and end up in paris or and do we not and we get it i get it i mean you talk so much about people wanting to come to america for freedom and and opportunity yet we cover all of these women who were like give me the fuck out of here yeah they're like <laughs> i don't care about your big giant stupid rules i don't care about and just get me out of here <laughs> it's another theme give me the every fuck time out we of do, here <laughs> every time we do another story i'm like oh there's another theme like dad didn't set up the businesses right didn't have a lot of money mom had to step in or kids had to start working or whatever right. lost dad early um <laughs> well you I know mean, the, the pattern actually fit in this story too but uh, it did they, but they it was at a millions. millions it was a different level but it still fit yes so and uh, then eventually the woman me like i can't have sex freely here i gotta go <laughs> well that's the thing like she put the autobiography out and she didn't tout the fact that she had all those encounters but she wasn't not she wasn't hiding it and like i don't think she was doing any of this for show you know what i mean at the end of the day she wasn't trying to garner attention she was just trying to live her best life hey 
So, well, I guess it's not so much that you can't do it. It's that you're not supposed to talk about it. Yeah, I don't. Which we still feel that effect today. Hence why we have our podcast. That's bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) So I would encourage anybody listening to please Google Peggy Guggenheim and just look at all the images of her because she had photographers come and take pictures of her in her life, in her home with all the beautiful artwork we've been talking about and the Lhasa Apsos and the Bosch nose job and the butterfly sunglasses. Like she is a spectacle and there's not one or two posts I'm going to be able to post for to just to do her any justice. Also, I want to name the sites I use really quickly. So Institute of Contemporary Art Boston, theartstory.org, vogue.com, and Wikipedia. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Not bad. Another one where it's like, I know the name. I have no idea. (laughs) So when I was in college, I went to art school. I went to art school in Grand Valley State University, and they have the Calder Art Center, which is where I was introduced to that era of artists, and that has been forever my favorite era of art. Um, And like just the fact that she was not an artist herself but was like i don't know in the def- in a definition the best ally any artist could have had <laughs> yeah 100% she was an art advocate a thousand percent and it's crazy because one of the artists okay so you know the um the pattern that's the primary colors and it's the black and white grid and there's the squares and rectangles and they have the different sizes and then sometimes there's a just a full blue fill it looks like an excel sheet that's got like a bunch of cells that are kind of unorganized i don't know but okay well now i have to post a picture of it (laughs) (laughs) but like artists that you maybe you don't know their names but you very much know their artwork you know the things they've created and pushed into the world yep thank you peggy yeah so that's that's peggy guggenheim well good job thanks for sharing (laughs) thank you I appreciate you doing the extra work since Wikipedia didn't serve it up for you this time. It was totally worth it. I loved it. This is my jam. Like I said, I wish that we had access to this kind of tea back in the day. Don't sugarcoat the fact that she was a hoe. I want to hear about it. It Gives me an understanding (laughs) of her character and personality and then it makes me more more interested in her story. Right? Don't take that from me. Leave out the fun details. Um, well, it's at a girl time. Ow. At a girls are where we talk about something good that happened to us or uh, something that we're like proud of ourselves for so we can end on a positive note. So uh, my at a girl is that I went and visited family in Florida and got in some good, you know, cuddle time with my niece and nephew um 
the sad part is that they all got me sick. So here I am now <laughs> sounding like this. You know, what else? What else could you expect from family? Really? Uh, I texted Nicole and asked her about her trip and she was like, I got coughed on and now I'm sick. I was like, oh, so <laughs> it's it true. Wasn't wasn't all that great. <laughs> I didn't start feeling sick till I was like basically getting ready to leave like the day before I started feeling like a lot of sinus pressure and congestion so at least I wasn't under the weather while I was there so yeah they were kind of like getting over the sickness but um it was it was it was still very prevalent (laughs) oh I was like it'll be a miracle if I make it out of here unscathed It'll be a miracle. So, but it did. I like, I'm sure from day one, cough, cough, started percolating. Two days later, sinus pressure, congestion. Now I've been on my couch for two days. I mean, (laughs) you know, uh, I'm glad you have the ability to add a girl for me for, you know, sticking it out. I was like, oh, you guys are all sick. I'm out of here. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all are sick? Okay. Well, I'm just happy you have, again, the time to relax. You don't have to go back to an office job and worry about No, well, the like the CEO of one of my clients sent me an email while I was on vacation, knowing I was on vacation, like saying, like, just look at this when you get back, not like pressuring me to get it done or anything. But then I was technically back in the office today. And so he sent me a message asking if I had reviewed it. And I was like, no, sure haven't. I've been catching up in between the constant nose blowing. That's where we're at. (laughs) Hey, welcome back. It's noon. How's that email list going? You get to mine yet? Uh, Did you answer my email yet? (laughs) No, sure didn't. (laughs) I did not. Not even. I'm like, I saw it. I, you know, I, I recognize that there was one there. I did. <laughs> However, and... my brain's not working. So yeah, when we were at the airport, because I went with my brother on this trip, when we were at the airport coming back, it was really early in the morning, which I don't function well at 6 a.m. anyway. But um, I really didn't get as much sleep that night because my nose was constantly running and everything. And so I wasn't feeling good. I didn't get much sleep. And it was early in the morning and he was saying things to me. And I was like, what? Like, it was just like, wasn't computing, wasn't making sense. We were trying to make our way through the airport. I went through um, security line to go put my stuff into the, well, I got through like them checking my ID. And then I went to go put stuff in my bin to push it through the machine. I was like, which way do I go? Like, I couldn't figure out how to get there. It was, I mean, it was bad. Like, my brother actually said, he's like, I don't see you off your game very often. I'm like, yeah, welcome. But when I do. When I'm off my game, I am off hard. (laughs) Yeah. You're like the most interesting man in the world, but (laughs) you just (laughs) take it to a whole nother level. Uh, so anyway what's your head girl um I don't know no I'm just kidding I I'm trying to figure if I should do so the stretching routine going back to that adder girl 
I only take like one or two days off a week, but I have been stretching Good. consistently still. Good. Yeah. So that's nice. Um, and then I have been collecting seeds for my garden this spring. I add a girl. Huh? You already did that at a girl. Well, I, I planted some stuff now. Okay. Um, so we'll add a girl when they start to actually grow. What was that? Your we'll, uh, we'll add a girl. We'll add a girl when they actually start to grow. Okay. But so I wasn't sure if I should add a girl myself on planting them or not. <laughs> you're gonna add a girl yourself for each step yeah this process yeah i am (laughs) i validate my brushing my teeth in the morning by chucking it off my list when i get downstairs what now (laughs) (laughs) well good for you thanks thanks so i hope that they grow plentiful yeah fingers crossed because food isn't cheap anymore apparently it's not. It is not. Very, so. very expensive. Yeah, it's a bunch of bullshit. You can't leave the store without spending a hundred dollars, and that'll get you like two lunches. And a, um, if you're lucky, that's like a carton of eggs, and that's it. On a milk. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's powdered that's milk it. anymore. You don't get real milk. It's powdered milk. Uh... In that government cheese. Um, <laughs> Some good ass cheese. How do y'all tell me about this good ass cheese? So you heard today. Please rate, review, subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram at homeads underscore chronicles or um, send us a whole history you'd like for us to cover at homeadspodcast at gmail.com where you can, um, you know, join our little closed group on facebook home as chronicles of judgment free zone for some extra nasty bits um i think that's that's it it. home ants out (laughs) you need to go to bed (laughs) i do